You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. a beautiful Tuesday afternoon in Toronto. We're recording this around 7.30 p.m. I am joined in studio with Christian Graffin. How's it going? All right, guys, let's get straight to the point. Christian, Damari Carroll is no longer a Toronto Raptor. Praise the gods. We got rid of that two-year, $30 million contract traded to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, part of the trade was a first and second round pick. Toronto Raptors, I believe, is a top 20 protected first round pick as well. Uh, we're basically getting spare parts in return. What do you think about this trade? Was it a necessary move by the Toronto Raptors, or could Carroll sort of carve some sort of um, value, I guess, on the offense for the Raptors next year? No, I think it was a necessary trade. I mean, the way that we're offloading cap space to make sure that we're under the the luxury tax and stuff like that this year is uh, it's obviously a goal of, of of ownership. So for me, Carroll was sort of the the only piece. For some reason, Valanciunas is not really uh, there's no market for someone like that anymore. And Corey Joseph, we also shipped off. So again, we even the player we got back for Carroll, um, Justin, what's his name? Justin Hamilton. Hamilton. We ended up cutting him already. So mm-hmm. it's purely a, a salary dump move. Uh, it's unfortunate for me. I think Carroll just had an unfortunate time in Toronto. The, too many injuries, um, especially the injuries to his legs, which you can kind of see he never, he almost never really got a shot back after that. And that's the main reason why we got him in the first place. So for me, losing Carroll wasn't that big of an issue because we never really had him uh, at his peak or, or what we had in Atlanta. And his comments... Um, well, we'll get to that in a second. I just want to look at the trades first. So, like, like I was really excited when we signed Amari Carroll. I thought the money was a little bit too high, but I thought the salary cap would keep rising. It wouldn't be where it's at right now. But, like, looking at that guy's career... You know, his career arc especially, you know, where he started off and how long it took for him to kind of become a contributing member to a team mm-hmm. is a clear indication of his skill set. You know, I'm not shitting on Damari Carroll, but Damari Carroll's value, his value was, you know, exemplified tenfold when he was on the Atlanta Hawks when he's playing in Mike Buttonholder's offense when he had so much, like, smooth transitions, passing flow on the offense. His limitations were masqueraded by more competent guys and depth on that team. You know, Damari Carroll came over to this organization with the expectation that he would be a contributing member to this organization. He did have his spurts. He did have his moments. He was a competent defender to a certain degree, but he wasn't the player we expected, especially shooting below 400 this season, being, like, being paid 50 million dollars a season I'm happy he's gone and this is a fantastic trade for the Toronto Raptors see to me it's a little unfortunate because DeMar Carroll I mean again I mentioned it earlier but the injuries obviously plagued him but DeMar Carroll for me he was also supposed to be a very good he was supposed to be the prototypical 3 and D type of player Mm -hmm. and honestly in a system what's not isolation basketball he is. He still is that kind of player. He likes to swing it. He likes to, you know, give up open looks sometimes. It, for him, the type of basketball the Raptors played did not suit his style at all. And I think he came to the Raptors with the expectation that we wouldn't be a purely iso ball team like we were this year. And again, with Lowry going down, we kind of were forced to do that with DeRozan. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's one of those things, and we'll, again, we'll talk about his comments in a bit, but his expectations when he came to the Raptors was was going kind of like the culture change that, that Masai was talking about this offseason. Yeah, but do we have the players on the team that could kind of replicate what the Atlanta Hawks were doing? Like, we had two, like, pure ISO guys in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Like, what was DeMar Carroll thinking when he signed this contract? Like, well, what, like where do you think his value lay on this offense? Like, what was he thinking? Like, how did, could you contribute to this team? Well, again, with him, when he came to the team, like, with Terrence Ross here, I'm pretty sure he, he sort of saw himself as maybe even like a stretch four. 
and like a, he's a very good defender. He's long, and we can go small ball and put at the time Valanciunas, Terrence Ross, uh, Demar Derozan, and and uh, Lowry on the court, mm-hmm. and that's a team that passes the ball a lot because anyone can shoot almost. I mean, there's three players in the court that can shoot, and then Demar can slash whenever he needs to. So that's much more spread out than this year's Raptors, for instance, that was pretty much dependent on DeMar DeRozan. I mean, he had a great season, and he's obviously improved in so many ways, but the offense runs purely through him when Kyle Lowry's not on the floor. And it's pretty obvious that that's what Damari Carroll's a little bit frustrated with with the whole entire system. And it's one of the reasons why I think it's kind of unfair to, to say, like, yeah, uh, beyond the injuries, it's a little unfair to say that he wasn't the best kind of that we the best fit for the Raptors. So he like it was almost like a bad decision by the GM, if anything. If he left this team, if he left this team thinking to himself, you know what, it was a great experience. We went pretty far, I guess, in the playoffs to a certain degree. Did well in the regular season, and he got paid. You know, he should leave the situation with you know a little bit of respect toward Toronto. You know, instead of well, I'll, I'll read the quote right here. It's hard to just change it all of a sudden, uh, Demari Carroll speaking to the Toronto Sun. It's a culture thing. You have to build it from the ground up, and that's what we did in Atlanta. We built the culture, moving the ball, and trusting each other. If you've been playing ISO ball so long, and that's all you know, it's going to be kind of hard. I think you bring certain guys in, certain coaches in to really build that type of culture, and it feels like Toronto is an ISO team. That's what they win off of, and that's what they've been playing for for the last five or six years. I, It pisses me off. Like It honestly pisses me off. The guy got fucking paid, and, and, and I know you're right to a certain degree. We may we didn't implement an offense where we could showcase Damari Carroll's skill set, but that's not the type of player he is. You know what I mean? He's not going to be a featured member of an offense, nor should we restructure our offense to pander to Damari Carroll. I just, I, 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 I love, I liked him on the team. I think he did a lot of great shit for the city of Toronto. I think he was a great ambassador for Toronto basketball, but I don't like these comments leaving the Toronto Raptors. Like, he, like literally, like, 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 who the fuck do you think you are making these sort of trade, like these comments? We literally packaged you with a first and second round draft pick just to get rid of your contract. That's a clear indication of your value to that team and what you did. Yeah, unless he's just on that team. unless it's, he's pissed that he's going he to is, the Nets. He's clearly pissed. He wouldn't have made this statement if he that didn't. he's going to the Nets. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Brooklyn Nets. I, I, like, I'm a weird guy when it comes to like a, like as a basketball fan, and I just like the, the potential of the Brooklyn Nets. Like being this like salary dump organization, be able to take in all these draft picks by you know taking in all these albatross contracts. You know what I mean? Like how often have you seen a guy like D'Angelo Russell? We've mentioned this countless times on the podcast. Go. Two years, two years in his career as a second pick and going to the Brooklyn Nets. You know what I mean? And this is why this trade's fantastic because typically in the past, to offload a contract like this, especially two years, $30 million, usually involves two first-round picks. Listen, we're giving up a top 20, potentially top 20 protected first-round pick that most likely will fall between the 22-25 range looking at the Raptors roster. That's not a lot to give up to get rid of Demario Carroll's contract, also including the fact that we flipped Corey Joseph to the Indiana Pacers in a sign-and-trade, getting a guy like C.J. Miles, who brings outside shooting, a 400% shooter, 40% shooter from the three-point line for the Indiana Pacers last year. How do you think C.J. Miles will gel with this offense? I like C.J. Miles. Um, and again, it's weird because I'm so cautious now. Every single Raptors move that's made uh, initially on paper, it looks great. Mm-hmm. And like the Ibaka trade, I mean, the P.J. Tucker trade was great. But I think w- with C.J. Miles coming to the team, he's going to fill that void that Terrence Ross sort of left. Mm-hmm. And that's just someone – and also, honestly, we need some more sort of veteran leadership on this team. Right now, we're not really that deep at all unless these like sort of rookies or sophomore players can really, really step up. And, I mean, we've seen a little bit of it in Summer League. But for me, anyway, C.J. Miles is is a great player. Uh, I think he's going to end up starting uh, on the Raptors in their sort of last four minutes, or sorry, fourth quarter, mm-hmm. uh, five minutes of the game, just because of his offense alone. Um, he's a great defender, but just having that three-point shooter on the team and out on the floor will space it so much more. And that's sort of one step where I can see Masai finally breaking the culture a little bit. It's the first time I think I've seen that um, from him. But it's hard to say how the Raptors are going to do. I'm still very pessimistic on the Raptors next year. I thought about this for a while. Um, I know we've had that big conversation about, you know, are we going to blow up the Toronto Raptors? Are we going to retain our assets? Are we going to meet right down the middle? Looking back at this whole 
the whole free agency and what Masai was able to do or accomplish this summer, I got to give the Raptors like an AA minus for what they're able to accomplish. Listen, bringing back Serge Ibaka and Kyle Lowry, and I know how you feel about Serge Ibaka, but on three-year contracts is is incredible. Like I love those contracts. Well, and I also like the fact we're able to flip Corey Joseph, who's now redundant with how great Delon writes and playing, especially in the latter half of the season, and getting a guy like CJ Miles offloading Demario Carroll's contract and a late first-round pick. To also get a mid-level exemption at $8.5 million is a huge, huge move for an organization that was stuck right at the cap wall. Well, let me ask you, though. Don't you think that Ibaka and Lowry were a little bit overpaid considering that? Like, don't you think they wouldn't have got the amount that they did in Toronto if they went and hit the free agency market? Well, I, I feel a, like we paid them a little bit too well, much. Well, it's a bad example to throw at it, but look at Ryan Anderson, for example. Ryan Anderson makes $19 million a year. Serge Ibaka makes 21, and Serge Ibaka is a substantially more competent defender than Ryan Anderson. Serge also has a pretty good three-point shot. Maybe not to the degree that Ryan Anderson does, but I think Serge Ibaka brings certain external tangibles that a lot of um, big men don't have. Quickness, speed, rim runner, defender, three-point shot as well. And Kyle Lowry deserved to get paid. Regardless of what you feel about uh, his value in the open market, a three-year contract at $33 million a year for a player who has worked his ass off for the last few years for this organization is just, in my opinion. Plus all the other moving parts I mentioned before. Like, I love what this team's done in the offseason. I'm just saying, like, Kyle Lowry, if he decides to take 27 instead of 33, means that we can have a lot more wiggle room. Like, yeah, again, we it... can get rid of Carroll, and then we can pick someone else up that's actually... Like, because for me, the the CG, or sorry, the, um, the Corey Joseph trade was strictly... Like, there was no cap involved. We, mm-hmm. we gained cap on that. So that was strictly a, a strategic move uh, for the Raptors. That We mm-hmm. didn't need that point guard. We have DeLong. We have Van Vliet. We're, we're, we're okay at the point guard position, as long as Kyle doesn't get hurt, that is. Right. But I don't know. It, for me, it's a little different there with CJ. Three-year contract. I'm looking – like, I'm talking Kyle Lowry here, but three-year contract, I'm yeah. looking at market value. I'm looking at approximate numbers here. But let's say Drew Holiday on the Pelicans, uh, $26 million. Um, Mike Conley on the Memphis Grizzlies, $31 million. Kyle Lowry, $33 million for a three-year contract for a 30-year-old point guard. That's fair money. That's fair money, in my opinion. When you the look at the market and how point guards are being paid right now. A lot of these contracts, though, that you're mentioning – are some a some of the worst contracts in the league, and b were signed three you know three years ago plus. So this well, is, Drew was resigned this year. Mike Conley was resigned last year. Drew Drew Holiday, I personally think is one of the worst off season signings. The amount of money that he made for the amount of contribution that he for for what he does to a team mm-hmm. to me is ridiculous. Like he is the most he's now going to be the new Mike Connolly for me. And realistically, I, they didn't make that trade. Like how fun would like a Malik Monk Anthony Davis team be? Like that would be a fucking enjoyable tandem or duo rather right there. I don't like Drew Holiday and now they're talking about Reggie Jackson. Mm-hmm. Anyways, just to to go off that. But the, for the Raptors for me, um just to go back to that, Abaka I feel like is a little bit too small to play the 5. Um I so it, it's hard. He He's not that great of a shooter. Uh, I know that Greg would disagree with me, but he's not the best shooter. So, And he takes a lot of weird shots. So for me, he's just, in the modern-day NBA, a four has to hit a three, because right. most fives are, and he has to be almost reliable at it. So he, he, he's good at defense, but he's certainly not what he once was. I've said to this before. So Abaka, I still think him and Lowry got a little bit overpaid compared to if they were to even hit the free agency market. Um, I can agree that Abaka may have been overpaid a bit, but I can say of Kyle Lowry. But I think what makes his contract works work is a length. Three years. You're not, you know, completely dedicated all in with these players. You know, you have an escape button. Third year in, and these are valuable assets in the open market as an expiring contract as well. You know, let's say. Th- uh, third year of contract, we're tanking, we're barely in the playoffs. We can offload those contracts, those expiring contracts for assets. You know, yep. That's what I'm th- and, and And also, kind of going back to the Carroll trade, I love the fact that we flipped the 2018 pick because who knows where the fuck we'll be in 2021, 2022, you know, especially with these aging players as well, right? See, for me, and I know that I was saying before that we should blow it up and blow it up, this almost gives us an opportunity to just delay that until the trade deadline. We now have bought ourselves until February of this season to see where the Raptors are, and that gives us that first little bit where we're awesome, that January sort of slump, and even all the way up to the All-Star game to even make moves. And I think if we wait until then, if the Raptors aren't doing that well or if the team isn't gelling or something like that, we could still completely restructure this team eight, you know, uh, 10 months from now uh, who knows mm-hmm. so it's a good move in the sense that 
I think we have sort of a team for now that keeps the fans excited, keeps the basketball interesting in Toronto, and at the same time, our youth is there on our bench, and it gives them sort of an opportunity to step up and play so that three years from now when all those contracts expire – we can sort of pick and choose which one of those guys we really want to keep on our team. And that's sort of the exciting part for me about the Raptors. I, I sort of agree with you. I don't think I'd give them an A uh, or an A, a minus like you gave them. I, for me, it'd probably be a B minus um, or a B um, just because they sort of well, I think retained the everything they've had. I think the probably the Serge Ibaka signing. Like if let's say we didn't re-sign Serge Ibaka, let's say Serge Ibaka got a three-year $45 million contract, for example, would, you, would this be an A sort of plus or a sort of off-season grade for the Raptors? Yeah, I mean, again, the contracts that they have them on, like you were mentioning, are mm-hmm. tradable, yes. I, I believe. Uh, maybe not a Bacchus. He, he's going to have to play really well. Um, but even then, you never know. If, if he just does one thing and ends up being a specialist, if he comes back and blocks really well and has good interior defense, then you never know. These players are, are basically trade assets that... See, I, I think Ibaka will always be a really solid trade asset because I think the idea of Serge Ibaka will always outweigh who Serge Ibaka is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As a defensive rim protector and a guy who can shoot from the outside. Um, well, last know, year he didn't have a chance to really acclimate himself to the team. Right? The team. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this year, especially with the offseason, um, him, DeMar, even Norman Powell, um, and obviously Kyle Lowry, are all going to elevate their game a little bit more just because of the fact that they're playing together uh, a lot more. They're going to have an off-season together. The, the Raptors will definitely gel better this year. And also getting the C.J. Miles trade as well. Like, we were putting a lot of pressure on Norman Powell to be that go-to guy off the bench, you know what I mean? Like, a pretty mm-hmm. green guy as well. Um, Another no, scorer, like, basically. Exactly. So it's good. And, man, Jakob Podol's been playing fantastic in the summer league mm-hmm. so far. Like, do you think, think C.J. Miles starts or Norman Powell? I would rather stagger the minutes. Like I'd rather have a guy like CJ Miles coming off the bench for immediate offense, like a heat check guy, like a Lou Williams. But Norman Powell, guy. Norman Powell does that too, no? I just feel like Norman Powell just being part of the starting unit, you know, getting adjusted and playing with those guys will be a beneficial thing for us in the long run. And having CJ so Miles kind of coming off the bench and facilitating the offense with the second unit with for the, the rookies and stuff well like that. Pull, exactly. Yep. No, I agree. I fully agree. All right, moving down the list, guys. Uh, so a couple, uh, I guess, last-minute free agent signings this week. Uh, the majority of the big names were signed. There's a couple of guys who are still lingering, but we're going to start it off with the most recent signing. Tim Hardaway Jr. is the newest member of the New York Knicks, returning to the New York Knicks. Graffin, what do you think about this uh, this signing? <laughs> Taking quite a bit of money, eh? I know. And $16.5 million next year. Again, someone coming out of Atlanta. Uh, that's such a systematic team, and he had a great season last year. I mean, I I ended up picking him up in fantasy. Yeah, he's on a seventy-one million dollar. So he was great in, fa- like a, like in fantasy. Like like a forty-five million guy. Like I could support that contract or justify that contract rather. But seventy-one million dollars to a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. Also thinking that you drafted Frank Nakina to play in the triangle offense. The move makes no sense. Fired, fi- fired Phil Jackson. I don't know if they're still going to be running the triangle offense, but imagine, like, like, you could have had Malik Monk on a rookie contract at the eighth pick. Even Dwayne Bacon in the second round. Shit, I would take Dwayne Bacon. Of course. Or Sundarius Thornwell oh. over Tim Hardaway Jr. That's considering how much money he makes. I'm not saying they're better players, but factoring in the money as well. And the term as well. It's such a textbook fucking Knicks move as well. The one thing I don't really understand is wasn't one of the main reasons he left. I know there was so much turmoil between him and Carmelo. Yeah, there was a little bit of conflict with him and Carmelo. And I know that he stated the other day that basically he doesn't want Melo to be traded. But I I, kind of see through that. Uh, For some reason, I have a feeling that picking up... Tim Hardaway, it's just another way of the Knicks of almost shedding Carmelo's contract and, and helping him want to leave New York so himself. Go to that for a second. I I, I don't understand these, these rumors going around that Carmelo Anthony might potentially go to the Houston uh, Houston Rockets. That makes yeah. no sense to me whatsoever. You, you remember his... Ten, Mike D'Antoni's tenure at the Knicks and how there was a little bit of a conflict with D'Antoni and Anthony. Can you imagine them in any scenario bring Anthony to the Rockets and I guess Mike D'Antoni forgetting the past and just sort of allowing Carmelo to be Carmelo? The difference for me is that Melo before was obviously the number one player mm-hmm. on the Knicks and now he comes into a team where he's pretty much number three. I mean, Chris Paul's going to run and Harden are going to run the offense. He's going to be sort of that guy who can shoot and get points when you need it. Like, he's he's a great scorer. He's an efficient scorer as well. He's a great scorer. Uh, his defense lately has been very questionable. But again, if he plays on a team that's actually doing well... That, that can survive if Ryan Anderson playing the four as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he would have to be part and of that Clint trade Capella package, right? And Clint Capella in the five. 
it's tough for me. I don't. I, I just don't believe in Houston, even if they get Carmelo Anthony. I still think that this is a team that is going to probably come in third. They might challenge the Spurs a little bit, but ultimately they're going to. I think they're going to lose. I, I don't know. What do you think about of Houston? It, the, the the thing going around the Houston Rockets right now is that they might stagger their minutes. You know, Mike D'Antoni uh, doesn't pander to convention conventionality. And he uh, he's unafraid to make a gamble, take a risk. Um, I think the only way for this team to survive is kind of doing what they did last year with, you know, having a second unit with, like, Eric Gordon. Beverly was featured in the second unit and first unit as well. Staggering Chris Paul and James Harden's minutes is essentially what I'm trying to get at. You know, constantly like having at least one of them on the floor at every single time. It's strange because you spent all of last season making James Harden this elite, elite point, point guard. guard. Yeah. But shit, though. Like, you get an opportunity to get a guy like Chris Paul, you got to take that trade. You know, Dara Morey is is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite GMs in the NBA. And realistically, how many times you get an opportunity to sign a transcendent point guard like Chris Paul? I agree in that sense, but I just don't know how it's going to work. Chris Paul wants to play off the ball more. James Harden, like you said, have sort of evolved into now a point guard that averages 11 assists a game. I don't know if there's enough role players outside of that. Like, we're going to see a lot of Chris Paul three-point shots, I assume. Well, Chris Um, Paul's a pretty decent three-point shooter. Especially yeah, in the, like he's a great spot. A up limited, a he, limited. He'll have a lot of open threes as well, and he's a really solid defender as well. Like he's up there in my opinion with Patrick Beverly. I mean, they're going to be one of the more interesting teams to watch, but I think they're going to sort of face the same thing that Miami had in their first year when they got Bosch and Wade and 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 LeBron, and they're just going to have a, a tough time going throughout the season gelling, mm-hmm. even throughout the playoffs. Uh, it'll take a, a year at least, I'd say, before this team and this core is good. And even then, I think next offseason they're going to make changes to make sure and, and tinker to see what they have. This season, for, for me, for Houston, is going to see sort of be uh, an experiment with Chris Paul and James Harden and then see what you can build off that. Because well, even if Melo goes there, I I don't really understand the contract situation. Right. But Ryan he, Anderson would have to be involved as well, $19 million plus. I, I don't even know their cap situation off the top of my head, to be honest with you. And they already offloaded their D-League to get this, Chris Paul. This, this <laughs> trade isn't that bad, though. Like, like I know, I know they offloaded a few fringe players like Sam Decker and Patrick Beverly, um, mm. but they didn't really sacrifice their future. That makes sense. Like, they lose Chris Paul next year. They still have a decent foundation. They still have Trevor Ariza. They still have James Harden. They still, unfortunately, have Ryan Anderson's contract. And they still have Clint Cabela. That's still a decent team. That's a playoff team. I don't know what their ceiling is. But it's not like Oklahoma City Thunder trading for Paul George. You know what I mean? If Russell Westbrook and Paul George both leave that team, they're completely fucked. If Chris Paul leaves Houston, Houston does have some legs afterwards. All right, rolling down this list, Kelly Olynyk is the newest member of the Miami Heat. Um, Kelly Olynyk, I guess, um, most famously known for that incredible playoff game last uh, last year. What twenty six points or some shit like that? Yeah, against fucking us, right? So, how do you think about what do you think about that signing, Graffin? I um, I'm kind of confused by it. I mean, I know. Like, to me, it's kind of a traditional center, no? Mm-hmm. And they gave him quite a bit of money to play Four back. Four years, $50 million. That's quite a bit to play behind Hassan Whiteside. And Hassan Whiteside makes a ton right now. Right. So uh, he's obviously going to be, I, I get, like, I'm just assuming here he's going to be a second unit player, I, I guess. Do you think they could coexist? They could play together in the front court? I mean, Kelly Linux has shown flashes of his of his three-point shot. And again, like you said, his great game. And mm-hmm. But to me, the consistency in that. I doubt it a lot. So, I don't know. I question this move a lot. For me, almost Kelly Olenek just wanted to get paid as opposed to going to a team that really was a better fit for him. In terms of Miami, I have no idea. I know that they're known as a team that sort of uh, can take players and... I mean, they make sort the best rebuild them. Shit. You look at Eric Spolster last year, bringing in a guy like Dion Waiters, James Johnson. They did have Goran Dragic, Hassan Whiteside. But they had a lot of leftovers, cast-offs, if you will. Um, the East is just so wide open right now, though, that I feel like teams see, are just trying to get the best assets. This this makes no sense to me in the signing. So Kelly Olenek signs for four years, $50 million. You get a guy like Patrick Patterson on the board who signed for Oklahoma City for three years, $16 million. I don't understand. Well, that contract makes no sense to me. Yeah, but I don't understand how Kelly Olenek would have more value for the Miami Heat than Patrick Patterson. Patrick Patterson is a better defender. Maybe he's not as good of a shooter, but he's more fluid as a player. You know, Kelly Olenek's kind of a, a stick man, essentially, on the floor. Age. Right? A- age is an issue there, uh, I'd say. And Kelly Olenek has potential. That's higher. It's a, high, it's a higher ceiling. I don't know about that, man. Like, what is Kelly Olenek's ceiling? Well, we saw it against, like, uh, Patrick like you Patterson? said, that one like, game. I don't, I don't get If he goes off and starts him. shooting really well, uh, Patrick Patterson, we haven't seen that from him in a long time. And Patrick Patterson... 
seemingly, I mean, he liked it, but he seemed to, to leave Toronto pretty pretty bitter. Mm-hmm. From what I've heard, he skipped exit meetings because uh, he wasn't getting playing time in the playoffs. He ended up basically not even saying anything to the teammates, just really to the fans. I, I don't know. For me, the whole Patrick Patterson thing, I think he just wanted to get the hell out of Toronto. Well, it's a great situation for him playing in OKC, but I want to bring him back to Kelly Olenek and the Miami Heat. What is Riley doing? Like, I just don't understand what he's doing this offseason because you're, the goal right here, if I was in his shoes right now, is that Eric Spolstra can bring the best out of any player. You know, you look at it last year, as I mentioned, with Dion Waiters. Yeah, he's a great coach. Dion Waiters got a massive contract. So did James Johnson. Going into the offseason next year, you know, a great location like Miami, the tax breaks and the sunny skies and beaches and all that shit. Why are they handicapping themselves for the future by investing so heavily in these court of secondary third players? Like, I just don't understand what he's trying to accomplish with this. My Continuity, only, I guess? My only thought is Kelly and Olenek just, I mean, he really needs a tan. So he's going to sign this contract. He's going to go to Miami. He's going to get that white skin finally tanned, and that'll be his. You know what's funny? Make money and just go to the beach all day long. I don't. I don't know how it's going to work with the team. Like I said, Kelly Olynyk likes the hot weather because he is from Kamloops, British Columbia, the only like sort of desert in Canada. Yep. Weird fucking connection. All right, guys. Moving down the list. Moving down the list. Rudy Gay is the newest member of the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Tweeted out a picture with him the other day with uh, what was it, Kawhi Leonard. And LaMarcus Aldridge insinuating that there might be a new big three in the Western Conference. Uh, Rudy Gay coming off a catastrophic Achilles injury. What does he add to the San Antonio Spurs? And can Greg Popovich utilize Rudy Gay's skill set potentially at the four to make the San Antonio Spurs a fringe contender in the Western Conference? I believe in Greg Popovich so much that, yes, I do think that could happen. I mean, I I think they're, they're going to either restructure Gasol or he's leaving. I'm not sure, but... Do you know what's happening with Gasol? He elected out of his player option, and he's going to be re-signed by the San Antonio Spurs, I believe, on a more cap-friendly contract. It's kind of like a Dirk sort of deal. So, I mean, there's a chance here that he comes off the bench instead of Rudy Gay just because of the the fact that LaMarcus Aldridge might play the five. He's not really a four anymore. Like I was saying before, the four is really a shooter. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge is kind of like a big player now. He gets rebounds, like, better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. I can see a lot of shuffling the lineup here uh, between Popovich. To me, what he brings to a team is sort of the exact opposite of what we saw in Toronto when he was here. Uh, He is a great scorer, and that's what San Antonio usually needs in spurts. Their defense is so good that sometimes it's their offense, I find, that kind of staggers them. Well, they need someone like this. You could see in the playoffs, especially last year, you know, David Lee... It's like a Danny Green type of player for me. Like, he's replacing David Lee, in my opinion, on this offense. Without the defense. Exactly. Well, David Lee is a horrendous defender. No, I'm saying, sorry, like a Danny Green type of a player. Like, right, off, right. like uh, he's better offensively, not as good defensively, but he's going to provide that sort of spark off the bench that every so often San Antonio desperately needs, especially like a team against Golden State, because I think they're crafting their team right now to beat Golden State, because it's the only team that really has a chance of doing it. So is Lamarcus going to be moving to center? Well, I think so. I mean... We'll see by the time the playoffs start. Uh, I don't think at the starting of the season that's going to happen. They're probably going to have Rudy Gay coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see San Antonio and how they're going to use um, the, the rookie this year, uh, Connor. It's going to be interesting. They're going to be a very interesting team. Ginobili, uh, the whole team dynamic from before with their core is sort of gone now. So it's up to, and I trust him so much, but it's up to 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 Popovich to sort of bring this team together. And I think he's going to be able to do it, and I think this team is going to be number two again maybe even finish number one somehow in the West, and they're going to be great. I think the signing's great. I think the only cause for concern for the San Antonio Spurs this season will be the point guard position. I don't know how you feel about Patrick Mills, but I just can't see, I, I really, really can't see Tony Parker having um, even a half-decent year this year, to be honest with you. Like He's on his last legs. He's a 25-minute-per-game guy at best right now. Um you know, he still has a decent jump shot, but he doesn't have the quickness, the speed. You know, he's unable to run the court the way he was when the Spurs were, you know, championship organization. See, I still think he runs the offense really well. It's the defense that kind of limits him a little bit now. Well, I'm running like, the court, you know what I mean? Being yeah, able to guard multiple positions. Exactly. I think uh, if you get 23 minutes a game from Tony Parker this season, and I guess they're going to start Patty Mills, um, or at, le- at least have him play more minutes than Parker will this mm-hmm. year. Um, so giving him that chance, that's another player that's going to be able to shoot a lot. So they're getting, they're getting shooters, um, or they're keeping shooters, and they're basically just making sure their team is, like I said before, sort of 
Golden State ready. They were they were beating them before Kawhi went down, and I think that they're just sort of loading up, getting their offense as big as possible without trying to sacrifice too much on defense. Because I'd rather Parker on the floor defensively than Patty Mills, just because of the size and sort of the length and sort of even the intelligence and the experience. So that's where Parker can maybe be more of an asset. He can maybe even play, even though his defense is obviously diminished, he's still smart enough especially in screen and rolls and, and playing off of really good point guards to know how to sort of guard that type of player. I think Patty Mills definitely took the hometown discount. Like, like looking at the money being th- – like, we mentioned this earlier with Drew Holiday. Like, I, you look at, like, certain starters in the NBA, certain starting point guards in the NBA, even George Hill in that massive contract. Like, how the fuck is Patty Mills less valuable than a guy like George Hill? How is Patty Mills less valuable than a guy like Reggie Jackson? I just don't understand what some teams are thinking. I thought Patty Mills would be like a, um, like a four-year, $80 million contract kind of guy. Well, this offseason especially. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. He definitely – I mean, again, San Antonio is one of those teams. Pal Gasol is restructuring his contract. Um, that It's a system. And every player that even comes out of San Antonio says the same thing, that it's just from the top down – uh, everybody's working on the same thing, and it makes you feel like you're part of a system and you want to contribute yourself. So I can see him, especially if he's been promised, sort of, it's a four-year deal. They're probably told him that Tony Parker is going to be gone by the time, you know, his he's at two years of his deal. Maybe he's going into his third year. Mm-hmm. He's going to run this team. Um, at least that's what they probably told him for his contract. So I can see him not only taking the hometown discount, but sort of being promised the a little bit of the future reigns of this team as well. Absolutely, especially when you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard on the offense who can sort of run the offense himself. They've um, got a great core. And, and Patty Mills is an incredible spot-up shooter as well. Yep. well. Maybe one of the best point guards who are... The only the only thing about San Antonio is I wish they had gotten Chris Paul. I wish they had gotten Chris Paul as opposed to Houston because that, for me, would have been so much... It would have made so much more sense all around. Well, if he, like, if he elected out of his player option, he was 100% going to San Antonio. Yeah, and I guess he wanted to give the Clippers a little bit of something back with with, with what he did there mm-hmm. with it, with his contract. But oh my God, that team—if they have Chris Paul—I I don't see how it's like Tony Parker back then, but his, but even better. So I don't see how possibly um, they wouldn't give Golden State a run for their money in the West. All right, guys. Uh, so our last little bit of uh, spring cleaning—I guess we'll call it for uh, NBA free agency. We're talking the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors, your uh, NBA, I guess, finalists last year. Um, so on one side, in my opinion at least, I think you have a in- couple incredible acquisitions. On the other side, you have a couple deplorable, disgusting acquisitions. We'll start with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who didn't really do much this offseason, Graffin. Uh, they brought in the half-cadaver, Jose Calderon, <laughs> and they uh, unfortunately brought in Jeff Green, who somehow was still in the NBA. Um, what's your impression of this team coming from the offseason into next season? I mean, are they still the number one team in the Eastern Conference? Yes, I think they are. Uh, maybe not regular season, but they're certainly the number one team that everybody's trying to beat right now. Every team is sort of in the East molding their team to make sure they can get through Cleveland. Because right now, I think any team in the East, especially Toronto, if they are to get to the conference finals and to beat Cleveland and lose to Golden State would be such an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And I think Greg said it last week. But that would be huge. Every team is gunning in the East for them. So I think that they're, they haven't really done that much this offseason. If anything, they're going to start, I think, the philosophy of not getting that older player anymore. Um, but then they got Jose Calderon. So for me, I have, I have no clue what they're doing. I think... Uh, David Griffin leaving was a big, big mistake for Cleveland. I think they have a whole bunch of front office issues right now, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Paul George didn't go there. He was told by a lot of the players, like, don't come here because right now there's a whole bunch of shit going on, and next thing you know, David Griffin gets fired. I think David Griffin and LeBron had a pretty strong relationship. And you can look at this team as well, man. The team top down to me is a little bit weird right now, but they're still number one. They were trying their hardest to trade Kevin Love this entire offseason, and there were a few rumors circling that they were actually trying to offload Kyrie Irving for assets. They re-signed Kyle Korver, who's, what, 34-35 to a three-year $21 million contract, a guy that couldn't even play in the fourth corner in crunch time against the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. I think this is one of the worst free agent uh, offseason for any team in the NBA. The, 
there's, there's obviously going to be some sort of locker room turmoil, and their bench unit is absolutely disgusting. Like, I just don't understand what they're trying to accomplish. If anything, they took two steps backwards. Even a team like the Boston Celtics, with an addition of a guy like Gordon Hayward, and the Washington Wizards, with very high upside guys like Bradley Beal, Otto Porter, and John Wall, as well as the Toronto Raptors getting who they got this offseason, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to lose their spot as the number one team in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're going to go to the NBA Finals this year. I think we're going to see a lot of lot of news, especially locker room turmoil with the Cleveland Cavaliers coming in next season. Well, I agree it's going to be turmoil. I still think they're going to be good on the court, though. It's hard to, I mean, like you said, the, the starting the starting six or seven of the team is still the same. Um, and all that really matters is the starting th- is the big three. So if they're there, um, I mean, Cleveland's a team that really handicapped themselves with all those contracts. Mm-hmm. Their payroll was the highest last year. I think they had $127 million, um, in the NBA. So they were deep into the luxury tax. And they really have no wiggle room. Even trading Kevin Love, they're trying to work Kevin Love for another contract the same. It's really the only oh. thing they can do. They, unless they try to get rid of someone like J.R. Smith or... Or you know one Even of those Amon Shumpert's of, or Amon contract Shumpert. has to go. It's it's so hard to get rid of those players because of the contracts that they have. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. They kind of put themselves in a corner right now, uh, even the Tristan Thompson contract. Um, they put themselves in such a corner with their salaries and stuff that they had no real wiggle room this offseason to do much at all. So just sort of keeping what, the, I guess, they had in a way is sort of a good thing for Cleveland to me. Going back to Kevin Love, I just want to bring something up really quickly. What the fuck is Pritchard thinking by taking Victor Oladipo and Sabonis over a guy like Kevin Love? Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. That that trade offer was on the table. Paul George, Kevin Love. Pacers did not take Kevin Love. Like, I don't understand how Victor Oladipo and Sabonis are better options moving forward. I just, that makes absolutely no sense to me. That's on par with fucking Doc Rivers saying no to a Jamal Crawford, Austin Rivers trade for Carmelo Anthony. Like, you're just destroying your organization. You're just throwing everything down the fucking well. I know Kim Love's on a massive contract, but shit, the guy was averaging 26 and 14, what, three, four years ago? from Yeah, it makes no sense. I mean, Oladipo is, I mean, I know you love Oladipo. I don't love Oladipo, but I think Oladipo is like a guy who can facilitate the offense in a worst-case scenario. Like the Orlando Magic, for example. Like if you're a team bereft of offensive options, Oladipo is that guy who's going to put 20 points on the board. Keep in mind, Oladipo is a guy that can't really gel with a really sort of successful unit. Like if he's on the Golden State Warriors, he'd be getting like 10 minutes per game. Like he wouldn't be a contributor member of his offense because he can't really shoot. He doesn't have any range, and he's he's a hype. He's super athletic. He's a great ISO guy to a certain degree, but that's his skill set limitation. Dion Waiters had to learn to develop an outside shot. Now he has value in the NBA. Victor Oladipo would have to do the same thing, and I don't think Victor Oladipo is ever going to have the outside shot that Dion Waiters has. No, and they're a team that's right now kind of like the Brooklyn Nets, and I think they had opportunity an opportunity there to get someone like Kevin Love. That's almost like a more established, a much better version of like a D'Angelo Russell, who's mm-hmm. not established, very young. Um, Kevin Love is established. He's in and this league. He could have made them contenders. I guess they just thought that he wouldn't want to stick around. I don't know. To me, that makes absolutely no sense. See, uh, I like, like like Kevin Love, Miles Turner. You have two big men with outside shots, maybe not the greatest defenders, but I think Miles Turner will be a common defender down the road. Maybe they could have potentially put together a package for Rookie Robio. You're talking about a starting five with Rookie Robio, Miles Turner, Kevin Love, what have you. Maybe CJ Miles will still be in that team. That's a playoff contender in a very deep or shallow Eastern Conference. I just don't understand what that guy's trying to accomplish. I know you want to bottom out, get rid of all horrible contracts that the Atlanta Hawks are doing right now and rebuild for the eventual splashy free agent signing. But this is a you have to have win now mentality in the Eastern Conference. If you feel like you have a contender, you got to put the right pieces together because this is your fucking year. See, to me, I think I I I kind of disagree with you there. I feel like the Pacers are not, especially losing Paul George, getting someone like Kevin Love would not make them at all a contender. I don't think they could even remotely go all in this year. If anything, their mentality is to, is to like, I can see this team being like the worst team or the second or third worst team right in, now, the, in the East absolutely. Uh, next season. So there's a great draft class, as uh, speculated, mm-hmm. next year. If this team just wants to rebuild totally, they get a good rookie, they pair him with Miles Turner, they can finally sort of find a way to maybe even get other draft picks by offloading some players like Oladipo and, and other players that they actually have this year. 
maybe they're just building to just tank and, and try to really work for the the five year sort of plan as opposed or the three year plan as opposed to a to a win now mentality because I don't think for the Pacers it makes much sense after losing Paul George to to do that. I just like I I'm, I know I mentioned Miles Turner, but beyond from him, like I, the team doesn't have any blue chip prospects sort of coming up through the pipeline. Um, you know, like like Utah Jazz for example, losing Gordon Hayward. They still can facilitate a decent team. Like they still have an awesome team because they drafted a guy like Donovan Mitchell. They took huge upside on a guy like twelve of Donovan Mitchell. They they still have Dante Exum. I just I don't think. The well, they have Rudy Gobert as well. Yeah, that's a good point. But the Pacers still have Miles Turner. So I, do you want to talk about a dysfunctional team? Because if we're moving on, right, Detroit well, is the most dysfunctional. Well, I think one of the most dysfunctional teams around. They overpaid Andre Drummond. Um, Reggie Jackson has been rumored now to be. Traded to the Pelicans, I get like his. Well, they made a great move this week. They made a great move, regardless of how you view their team. Like getting Avery Bradley for Morris, and subsequently them not throwing twenty million dollars a year at Contavious Caldwell Pope is sort of a silver lining of positivity with that organization. Like I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Avery... I like Contavious Caldwell Pope though. So from, I guess I like both players. I don't. I don't see Contavious Caldwell Pope's like value. I don't understand why he's a twenty million dollar guy. I know he's a good three and D sort of player but he shot 399 field goal percentage last year 39 percent 30 like 3 34 percent from the three point three point line i know he's a great defender i know he has length and he guard multiple positions but and i that's think it. avery bradley is a substantially better player overall especially moving forward as an organization that guy can facilitate the offense that guy can guard your best player on the court and he's just a really positive sort of guy to have in the locker room as well yeah. Especially playing in a team like Boston Celtics, you know, seeing him playing with the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce era over to like just the bottom barreled out team to what we're seeing the resurgent Boston Celtics under Brad Stevens. He's seen a lot in the NBA and having that sort of experience on a team like the Detroit Pistons where continuity has not existed whatsoever. It's a great thing to have. It's a great asset to have. But I completely agree with you 100%. Andre Drummond is a non... Like he can't... Do you think he will ever be a contributing starting five member of any organization in the NBA? Like, what is his value league-wide? Well, like, what is his trade value, most importantly? To me, Andre Drummond's like a, is like a worse version of Jonas Valanciunas right now to have on your team in terms of salary trying to salary dump a player. Mm-hmm. That type of a player now, that that big player, I mean, he's obviously a great rebounder, um, but he's so limited offensively. He's also he's limited offensively. Terrible, he's a terrible at free throws. Right. So for me, uh, that type of a player anymore, it just it's not that valuable anymore. You're and they, were the, they paid him when it when he kind of was valuable. So he has a contract right now, kind of like an Al Horford for me, mm-hmm. where that kind of a player is just, uh, it doesn't really fit sort of the mold of the modern day NBA where the the centers are really the centerpiece of your salary cap structure now. It really is going a lot more to your point guards, your shooting guards, and your small forwards. Like, who's taking that contract? Like, you're looking at a guy who's going to be making 22 this year, 23 next year, up until 2021 where he's making $28.7 million. He's a piston for life. Yeah. Honestly, unless they can do some sort of thing where they can find a way to package him with some young players. or I mean, I think they're going to suck next year. So they're going to have a good draft pick. They're going to be a top 10 pick. Mm-hmm. Um, if they really want to get rid of Andre Drummond, maybe next year's the year. Again, this year, for a lot of teams in the East, uh, for me, any team that's sort of on the fringe or certainly knows that they're not going to be competing with Cleveland, Boston, Toronto, Washington, um, this year is all about evaluating your team mm-hmm. uh, and going forward and what you really want out of it. Um, again, every championship team, every other team sort of tries to become like them, especially the next season. So a lot of teams are looking to at that mold right now of the a lot of, you know, three three point shooting type of players with good defense and that are lengthy and long and, and that type of a player. So it's a little different for me. I don't know. I, I think that Detroit this year really, really has to evaluate and see if they should just completely tank going forward after this year, or if there's a, some sort of a, a structure and a couple players that they can actually build around. Bradley, I agree with you, is a great is a great pick. Stanley Johnson, you know, you know he, there is some upside to that kid, yep. even though he hasn't been playing well the last few seasons. Just quickly, where do you think uh, Caldwell Pope's going to go? Man, he, he's not going to get the money. He's probably going to get a three-year sort of a three-year $50 million contract. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know what their salary cap situation is. I'm just sort of looking at fit. Uh, Chicago Bulls make sense to me. A team like that. What about um, the Clippers? I think the Clippers make sense too. 
Just with the way they have their, their team now? Right. It just depends on like what I'll, they're trying to do. Because if they do sign Caldwell Pope, realistically, he's going to be coming out the bench of Daniel, Daniel Gallinari, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan playing in the front court. Yep. Um, I don't see him as a shooting guard. He's not a great shooter. Um, but he's a great defender. Yep. Um, you mentioned that's, it bef- a, that's an interesting fit. You mentioned it before. The, the two teams I was thinking of were the Clippers and the Jazz. Because the Jazz are going to look to fill the void there now for Gordon leaving. <coughs> see, I think of the Jazz this season. You can take a gamble. Like, realistically, the Utah Jazz are not going to be making the playoffs in the Western Conference. They have a great team. They have a bunch of blue-chip prospects, and we've seen them play in the Summer League. Guys like Dante Exum and Don Mitchell have looked absolutely fantastic. I think they're going to be good. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, man. You don't think they're going to be good? I think they're going to be oh, great. Man, I'm, I'm a huge on this. Like, we've watched a couple uh, Jazz games ourselves together, and, like, just, just Donovan Mitchell, first year coming in. You know, that guy's a beast. Like, he was in my top 10 mock draft, my final one as well. He's going to be that guy, in my opinion. A couple years down the road, you're going to be th- ripping your fucking hair out thinking, like, why the fuck didn't we draft him? Like, why didn't we grab this guy? No, the Utah Jazz, I mean, Summer League in general has been awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. It's been fantastic to watch. And Utah specifically um, has been one of those teams that's been that's been great to watch. And like you said, Don, like Mitchell is one of them probably, I mean, he got 37 points Eight steals and three rebounds last game. That, that, that's insane. Well, speaking, so of, uh, the, speaking of summer league, like who are some of the guys out there that really sort of catch your eye? Like, or who are a few names that you want to sort of discuss in detail? Well, Scenarius Thornwell has been doing really well um, over there. I mean, there's there's a lot of players. I, it's hard to pinpoint a few to go to the Raptors. Uh, I mentioned this on our Twitter at uh, at T Sport Matters. Just in case uh, you're not following yet. I mentioned it earlier, but Siakam has been playing crazy. But for me, it's Van Vliet. Van Vliet has been one of the most impressive players. He looks literally like Isaiah Thomas, just because, uh, obviously, the the size of him. But the way he's playing, he's playing with this sort of aggression that he's out there to prove something. Mm -hmm. And it's not only the assist. He's getting a ton of buckets. He's shooting well. um, So he's really impressive. Uh, Siakam's opened up the three-point game a lot more, so he's really impressive. Um, I honestly thought I, li- I liked kind of what I saw from Ball, obviously, in his second game, mm-hmm. not not from his first game. He had the 2 for um, 11 performance, I think. Yeah, uh, it's a little suspicious, his groin injury, right before he faces Fox again. Uh, Fox has been fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of players. There's almost too many. It's all the rookies, though. Frank Mason had a fantastic night uh, yesterday, yeah. actually, 24 points. But it's all the rookies. It's The rookies are absolutely dominating. So from what I've seen this summer league, I would easily predict that this draft class be one of those ones that are talked about well the hype is just years years to come i think there'll be 10 plus players in this draft that are easily going to be sort of cornerstones to sort of a team at least sort of like a a, at least a secondary player or like a gordon hayward type of player see the guy that i'm really really like i've I've been like i I remember looking at scouting report when he was coming in the draft i wasn't really big on this guy and i've been watching him play in the summer league and he's completely blown me away is john collins on the atlanta hawks like, he's one of yep. those guys who got kind of lumped together with the redundancy of the big men in this draft coming up. You know, you have your Paytons, you have your, uh, who's the guy, sorry, Austin, who got drafted by the Brooklyn Nets, who also yep. have Zach Collins as well. He's one of those guys that kind of got overlooked because he's a throwback. You know, he's not a, a floor stretcher. He's not essentially fleet of foot. He's very athletic, and he's very physically imposing, and he has a very high vertical. Um, he's a guy that's just been absolutely dominating the summer league. And keep in mind, he's playing against kids and a lot of nobodies. Yep. But I think John Collins is a great building block for the Atlanta Hawks to build around. Like, he's a guy that you can play with Dennis Schroeder in a pick and roll. I just think he's an incredible addition to this team. And he's one of those guys that really surprised me coming in the summer league. I know we mentioned Donovan Mitchell as well and Dante Exum, but I can't underlook how good Dante Axum's looked this 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 summer league. The guy was a complete bust before this. Yeah, we watched him the other night together, and he yeah. was he looks he looks like the player that was draft that, that he was sort of drafted on, mm-hmm. and it was all that potential. Uh, he looks great. Uh, he can play one. He can play one or two as well. Right? You have uh, Ricky Rubio. I was sort of a hater on Jason Tatum, but he has been playing so well in the summer league this year. Uh, so again, it's all rookies. And the rookies are absolutely dominating. And I have a feeling that this year, that the rookie of the year race will be more exciting than almost even the MVP race. So let's go into that for a second. Who do you, what are your projections right now? Is there someone that really sticks out for you that you think will decisively be the rookie of the year? Are there a couple names out there? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's hard to overlook Markel Fultz. I mean, his name's going to be there, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, unless he unless he does get injured. But if he stays healthy, you know he's going to be there. Uh, 
it's hard to say someone like Tatum um, just because of the the system that he plays in. So you want to look depth at depth in Boston. Yeah, you know, he's not he's exactly not the fourth fifth option on the team. Uh, I can see Collins even in Atlanta, like you said earlier. John Collins he, can be it for sure. The he guy is one of those players. But if if anyone, and I had to pick this from before, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, Donovan Mitchell? Mitchell looks. He just looks like he's one of those players that's going to be exciting. He's going to be on Sports Center top tens. He's going to be one of those players that. I mean, he's playing in Utah, right? So it's going to be hard to sort of notice him outside, but he's going to make a name for himself, and he's going to sort of elevate that team back to sort of a, a team that you can watch uh, without Gordon Hayward. He's a very crafty player. He has, like, a like a, a veteran sort of poise to him when he's playing. Like, you can see him in the summer league, especially playing against, like, three-, four-year sort of vets, um, you know, how competent he looks sort of running that offense. The guy that I, I just think is going to win Rookie of the Year because the Western Conference is so deep, and I don't really see the Dallas Mavericks competing, and I think they'll just let Dennis Smith Jr. Oh, just he's run so amazing. You know I, I mean, I can see Dennis Smith Jr. doing like 20-8. and eight. I cannot believe I forgot about Dennis Smith Jr. Like, Dennis Smith Jr. is my prediction yeah. for Rookie of the Year. I just don't dedicate see a whole segment to Dennis. He is that guy. I fully yeah. agree with I can't believe I forgot about him. He looks remarkable, uh, and you're right. And on Dallas... Uh, like, it, but Donovan Mitchell could be up there as well. Like Donovan Mitchell and Dennis Smith Jr. are the two guys, even John Collins. But I think I'm going to go Smith, um, probably Donovan Mitchell second, and John Collins third. But it could be a very no tight race. No, no faults. Or Ball. I mean, Ball got a triple double in summer league. I, I, you know my feelings toward Lonzo Ball, but we'll go to Markel Fultz really quickly. I love Markel Fultz, and I'm huge <laughs> on Markel Fultz. I just look at the depth of that team. I look at the multitude of scoring options on that team, and I don't really see him putting more than 15 points per game on the board oh. this season. The way he's Eventually, played this summer league, though, he is, he wants the ball. This isn't a conversation of how dynamic, incredible player, and how, how much upside this guy has. We're yeah, but talking he's, a, about he's gonna want it. He's gonna shoot it. I don't know if he's gonna do that. That I, he's one of those players that if he sees any little hole, he's gonna drive it and take it. And if he has any sort of a look, he's going to just shoot it. And he wants – in summer league, you can see it. When he doesn't get a pass to him, he's almost he's almost upset. You can see it that unless it goes in especially. I see Marco Fultz the kind of guy that's going to take a couple months to kind of get acclimated to the offense. Like I kind of see him having like a slow start, especially playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, especially with J.J. Redick on the team as well. You know, he's going to have to kind of uh, adjust to the flow of the professional game as well. Playing for the 76ers, you know, with Ben Simmons on the offense. There's a lot of – I wouldn't say question marks. But there's a lot of um, limitations as to Markel Fultz running that team. I just think Dennis Smith Jr. And there's so many that, weak point guards in the East, though, that he could, you know, like, who's he going to be up against? I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. is going to be facing some pretty good competition in the West. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason why I say, like, again, like if he's facing people like Chris Paul and Steph Curry with what they have behind them in their system and Damian Lillard and all those guys and, and Markel Fultz is, you know, the I hardest just, he has is Lowry, Irving, and Wall. I mean, beyond those three, because those three are great, obviously, it's gonna it's a big drop-off, right? I just see, uh, you know, I man, I see the Philadelphia 76ers sort of having to implement an offense where they have to integrate three uh, three rookies. You know what I mean? You're not, Joel Embiid, I guess you can call a rookie. He's played 33 games his career. You know what I mean? That's... Uh, that's a lot of touches, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to let one guy sort of run the show, more or less, right? It's going to be um, an assembly, a group of people sort of acclimating to each other, adjusting to each other. I just like Dennis Smith Jr. Just being able to, like, he's basically being shot out of a gun as soon as he's getting to the NBA, and he's going to be able to do what the fuck he wants. I agree with you. Dennis Smith Jr. for you, Donovan Mitchell for me. Um, all right, guys, that is it for us. We were going to go to the off-season breakdown report. Uh, Graffin, do you want to touch base on this really quickly? I guess we talked about the We spoke about each team, already. yeah. The only team we didn't speak about really was Milwaukee, though. And I think Milwaukee's going to be, I think Greg said it, or you said it before mm-hmm. uh, on the last podcast, is your sleeper pick for the East. Oh, my God, this team is going to be, with Jabari Parker back, as long as he is the player that he was before. Um, Healthy Chris Middleton as well. Yeah, and then they also got DJ in the draft. This team is going to be good, and he he's looked great as well in the in the summer league. So they're long. Um, they're going to be very good defensively, and they're going to be one of those pesky teams that's going to be so tough to play. Milwaukee, uh, I think they've had a great offseason, and the best part for me is you see someone like Giannis uh, put the – the staying home or I'm loyal, basically, mm-hmm. the Kendrick Lamar, like loyal lyric. Right. That that to me, Milwaukee, of all places, Milwaukee is somehow building a 
culture where players not only want to stay, but they're expecting to win now too. A philosophy created by an incredible head coach and Jason Kidd. Yep. But my biggest thing for Milwaukee was, you know, I look at the Oklahoma City Thunder when they played the Golden State Warriors when you had a healthy Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Like they took the Golden State Warriors right to the right to the edge, basically. The game seven, very close series. And what Oklahoma City Thunder were able to do in that series was match up with length, with size yep. against the Golden State Warriors. And that's what Milwaukee Bucks can do. They can put five guys on the court who can be six five or above. Yeah, Not too many exactly. teams in the league can do that. We're also forgetting guys like John Henson and Thon Maker. You know, so many different looks off the bench especially. I like that team. I think they're going to be a top five team. I don't know if they're going to be better than Washington, Boston, Toronto, or Cleveland. But I wouldn't be surprised if they won the conference, to be completely honest with you. Well, the best part for me is that, I mean, this year, yeah, they have $113 million, so they're just right around there. But next year when they get rid of Monroe's contract, Spencer Hawes' contract, oh, uh, Tony Hawes, Snell. Uh, well, they probably keep Tony Snell. We, but, we mentioned but before. Spencer Hawes. To me, when they can get rid of, I mean, $17 million to Greg Monroe. Next year, they're going to be at 70 Two million dollars, roughly, mm-hmm. going into the off season, where every free agent apparently is going to be available in the market. If Milwaukee this year can put together a team that can challenge, you said a team might beat Cleveland. If anyone can do it, probably going to be either them or Washington so or you Toronto. Know what I like on that team with all that freed up cap space, especially with him coming. Uh, I think he's a free agent next year as well, or two years. I can't remember. DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, him I can see I mean, on that, that team. That sort of like length. Athleticism, lanky sort of. I, I think he'd be a perfect fit. That is a scary team with DeAndre Jordan on it. Uh, Chicago Bulls. We'll touch base on really quickly. Sorry, go back to Milwaukee Bucks. What is your win loss projection for them? Um, for me, I have them actually doing. Wins? I have them doing pretty well this year. For me, I have them going probably right or just below fifty. So probably like 49, 48 wins this season. Maybe even I, they could crack the fifty mark. This team probably is top four in the East, I got honestly. A firm 47 for the Milwaukee Bucks. Chicago Bulls, um, obviously a very tumultuous offseason, um, losing their face of organization, Jimmy Butler. Um, I guess Laurie McCannon hasn't really looked that great uh, in the summer league, as I mentioned before. Uh, this podcast, I think he shot 0 for 10. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. A couple days ago. Um, so you'd think after like six of them, you might stop shooting just to make sure your percentage doesn't go that badly, right? Yeah, yeah, but he just shot four more. Well, I guess it's a good <laughs> sign when it comes to confidence and not getting discouraged, but it is discour- it a discouraging league. sign to see him shoot like that. If he was 0 for 6, would we really be speaking about it that much? or would we? You know, I see a 31-win team. I, I don't think Zach Levine's ever going to be fully healthy this season. I think you're going to have to wait till next season to get him to kind of gel with the offense. Um, I just don't see this team winning over, like, barely winning 30 games, if that. Is that fair, fair to say, Graffin? I can see this team being the worst team, or maybe the second or third worst well, team. Well, who has more wins, Chicago or Detroit next season? Probably, well, Dwayne Wade's there, but who knows How what he's going to do. How long will he be there for? Right? Um, just quick, what's going on with Miracic? Is he signed there, or is he, he's a restricted? Is they because to me that does make a little bit of a difference. Um, he he. Okay, so he he's a restricted free agent. I just I don't know. Like the guy's been in the league for so long, and again, like I'm gonna th- like what I said about Serge Ibaka. I think the idea of Nikolai Merichik actually outweighs what he does on the court. You know, mm-hmm. you like the idea of having this like big you know European guy who can shoot the three point shot. Those euros. But uh, out of all honesty, the guy's been in the league long enough to kind of you know, show what he's capable of doing. You know, He's been on a playoff contending team for how long now? And he hasn't been able to do jack shit in his career. I don't I, think it matters if Mirchik is on that team or not. Um, I, would, I don't I think he can do anything say, to McCannon. Like to say like, oh, Mirchik can be like a mentor to McCannon. No, I don't see that. No. Like, Mirchik hasn't even done anything in his career. No, I, even I, necessarily being a mentor for him. I guess I can see Chicago being better still mm-hmm. um, than, than Detroit, just because Detroit's so dysfunctional, especially when they get rid of Reggie Jackson and who knows what they're going to get back. Um, I, I can see Chicago being better than them. But, again, both teams are in a rebuild right now. They've both had sort of came up with the same strategy next year when Dwayne Wade leaves and his contract's gone they're gonna have a lot of money for free agency Chicago's banking on the fact that they have that historic presence and people are gonna want to come there and change the dynamic just like LA so uh, I think they're banking on that which is a horrible thing to bank on because John Paxson is apparently losing his goddamn mind especially in this offseason so we'll go down the Indiana Pacers very quickly Graffin what is your projection what is how many wins will the Pacers have this year Ooh, I would say 28. God, this is a bad division. 
Yeah, it's it's not. A, yeah. Hence why we started with we this. We started one. with this division uh, <laughs> for a reason, and yeah, I'd say twenty eight. I see thirty five. Th- I'm a little bit. I have a little bit more upside on Cleveland. I'm not Cleveland. Sorry, uh, on Indiana, Indiana Pacers. Pacers. Yeah. I guess that's really based all on Miles Turner, right? Mm-hmm. Is that well? Darren Collison's a decent point guard as well, and, and Oladipo the as well. There as well, yeah. I, I now for me, it's it's. It's going to be a complete rebuild. Again, all these pieces are going to have to learn how to gel together for such a long time. None of them are really playing summer league. So it's it's a lot of players that have been in the league for five or six or seven years, other than Miles Turner, that are just sort of floating around. And them losing CJ was one of the worst things that could have happened to them because if Paul George stuck around, he would have stuck around, just kind of like a P.J. Tucker. Um, instead, we ended up getting him. So for if anything, I'm just happy that... Indiana sort of is doing this strategy and blowing up because it allowed the Raptors to get uh, a nice 3 and D type of player. And I feel horrible for Corey Joseph right now. Um, we'll end it with the Cleveland Cavaliers really, really quickly. I'm going to go with 51 wins. I don't think they'll win the division because I think they'll punt multiple games because of the whole resting policy. Um, so I'm going to go I'm gonna go with 51. What do you got, buddy? Um, I think Cleveland's going to... Again, they're going to rest. March doesn't matter to them. I can see them getting 54, um, 53 wins. They're, they're still such a good team. Uh, Boston is going to sort of, I think, they might run away with it a little bit. Um, but still, great team, 53-54 wins. Perfect. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back this Saturday with Greg the Sport Doctor, Yeroshadis. Uh, we'll be talking about amateur Canadian basketball and a little bit of Raptors talk. But with that, this is Brandon Kajoka. This is Christian. And we are out.